Absolutely. We're glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Anything else, guys? Okay. If you're taking notes, I want you to write four words at the top of your notes tonight. I want you to write, I can know God. I can know God. And that's pretty much where we're going to head through these next two chapters. And as we dig into chapter two and then make our way into the encouragement that's in chapter three, I hope that's the conclusion that you come to tonight. I can know God. That's amazing. I don't want to say you because I don't want to preach to you. Just say it to yourself. I can know God. Yeah, the creator of the universe. I can know him. And that is an absolutely amazing thing. So initially, as you read through chapters 2 and 3, and this might be kind of hard, we're not actually going to read it together. So last week we read it together, but I'm going to hope that you've read it before you've come. What were your initial thoughts? Maybe you jotted some things down. Maybe you underlined some stuff. Maybe that's all it is. If that's your initial thought, I'm fine with that. Like, this word was interesting. This fact was interesting. I don't care what was interesting. But as you read through chapters 2 and 3, what were your initial thoughts? And we'd already made it through Hannah's prayer. So, but if you have thoughts on that, I still love to hear them. Uh, but jumping into Hophni and Phineas, I think that's how you say it. That's how I'm going to say it. Jumping into them and these worthless guys that were working at the tabernacle and then, then leading into the call of Samuel. What, what was the Lord doing in your mind? Yeah. Yes. I'm not saying yes, you are such a sinner. I'm saying this, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. calling him yeah Sam I love where you're headed there because that's exactly where we're headed tonight just thinking about the voice of the Lord you know knowing God and God talking to him and speaking to him okay we're just you can hold on to that what else for me I really focused on my in when it was talking about the sons and it said for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death I like really struggled with that the first time reading it like thinking like is that how God sees me sometimes like he just wants to put me to death and just, I like kind of dug into that a little bit more but just okay. thinking about that really struck a chord with me yeah yeah I mean 
Man, God is just. He is just, and he is holy. So these guys, they had opportunity to know the Lord, and they didn't. It clearly says they didn't know the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, okay. yeah. Reading with those, because that, like, my thoughts was like, oh, my, like, we got to see Christ in here somewhere. <laughs> like, we need a rescuer, but that they keep talking. And then it, I don't know, I was like in verse 25, when it says someone who sins against the Lord, hmm. it goes on, and I thought, you know, the Lord, or God wants to kill them, you know, and it's like, we we needed a rescuer. We yep. needed him now. Yes. And so, like, um, it, you know, trying, I was, your thoughts about bringing Christ, or the, yeah. to those, yep. I just kept saying, like, God has made so many points here to say, look, guys, yes. rescuer is coming, but Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm glad I'm glad you saw that because Jesus is definitely in chapter 2. In chapter 3 cuz I think he's actually the one speaking to Samuel, but he's in here and he's in every chapter of the Bible. That's what's so cool. And then when you dig in and then you see it. I saw it too. So and we'll we're going to get more into that. So that's really really exciting. Did you notice how um in verse 26, 226 the description of Samuel did you notice that? The same as of Jesus when he was a child leaving the temple. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Luke 2.52, if you want to write the reference in there, is where it says it has that same description of Christ. I was in 2.26, and then you can write Luke 2.52 next to it if you want. Exactly. Yes. Isn't that so cool? Yes. And just what you're saying about, you know, is Jesus going to, is that how he thinks about me? You know, is he going to put me to death? It's like, no, because we have this amazing, faithful high priest whom God moved into that position because this priesthood was not cutting it. Very good. This is great, you guys. Ooh, I'm getting excited. <laughs> what else? love that. Yes, so cool. I wonder, I just thought of this, but I wonder if Samuel was, was or not Samuel, I wonder if Eli was jealous at all. Like, mm, when was the last time he talked to me? I don't know. I would have been jealous. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the two times that it was heard, or three times, I think, but 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> yeah, so cool. Exactly. And I read that uh, Samuel is the next prophet after Moses. So there has not been a prophet that entire time. And that's, I think it's like 400 years, but I don't know. I might be wrong on that. It's several hundred years during the time of the judges since Moses. And then you have got Joshua and, you know, all that. So, uh, Shelby, did you have something? Yeah, so I was going to say, when you said the order of Eli was jealous, I thought it was interesting that when Samuel tells him what God said, like Samuel's kind of scared to tell him what he said because mm-hmm. he basically set the curse for Eli's family. But he says, um, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. Yeah. 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 And I found that really interesting too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't have an answer for this at all, but I mean, it, like, is Eli in heaven? Yeah. I don't know. I, he obviously has, I would say, more of the humility before the Lord than his sons do. Um, and especially that response. I mean, I would have argued. That's what I would have done. No, let me argue my case. And he's just like, it's the Lord. So let him do what he wants. I know you guys have other thoughts on that. Well, I mean, I think, too, with the advice he gives to Samuel, and Samuel, like, is starting to figure out that, oh, it's the Lord's voice. Like, I jotted down some things, like, making yourself available for God to speak. That's one thing, like, he made sure Eli was like, okay, I need to make sure that Samuel knows what he needs to do before God. And so that shows that he's at some point probably had a relationship with him. Yes. Yeah. So good. I'm going to let you guys teach the class tonight. This is great. You guys studied. I love it. Anything else? Anything else stuck out in your notes? for you I, I mean yeah it, it's it's hard it's hard and I honestly don't know what to say to that there is some level here that God does hold Eli responsible but I also think he holds him responsible for the fact that they were the priesthood you know they were in a very specific role uh, a very privileged role that they were supposed to be playing and not playing, but I mean, you know, they they were to be, yeah, serving before, as holy before the Lord and mediating between the people 
and God, and they were filthy, you know, they were wicked, and that was not happening, and so I do think there is a, a certain level there of, of extra judgment just because of the position that they held, you know, so I think there's a lot of, there's other scriptures we could go to where uh, children are not held responsible for the sin of their parents, I don't know exactly where that is, but I can find it for you, and I would say God also does it vice versa, so be encouraged too, but um, yeah, it's, so Samuel's first judge, uh, first test then was whether or not he would say this hard thing, this bad news to this person who was close to him and who he, he respected. It is hard to speak truth to those that are close to us and those that we love, and so I, I felt challenged by that too. I, I backed down often. Craig doesn't back down, but I back down a lot when a hard thing needs to be said. I can say it in this context, but it's hard for me to say it like in a one-on-one context type thing. And I back down a lot, and I don't say the hard thing that I should. So I want to get better at just speaking truth because that's love, right? Like telling somebody the truth is actually being loving towards them. So good reminder. What's going on over there? I just think that's what God's Yeah. But I think that that's why we're determined and shared. Yep, that's right. What he's saying to me, he's probably saying to maybe one or two other people in the room. And if I share that, then we can say, okay, I'm not alone in that. That's exactly right. Yep. That's exactly right. So encouraging. Yeah. Yes. Especially when we look out in our world today, we can all take a deep breath because God is still working <laughs> right now, even though there's so much corruption going on in different places. Absolutely. Uh, when you look at verse 12, 212, that verse says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. And it's interesting, a couple of things that stuck out to me is, remember last week, Eli uh, called Hannah a worthless woman. And so there's that connection. It's interesting that, no, it's his children that are the worthless men, not Hannah. But in the King James Version, and it might be a couple others, this worthless can actually be translated sons of Belial. You guys heard of Belial? Does that ring a bell at all? Uh, 2 Corinthians 6.15 says, What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Belial is the name that the Jews sometimes used for Satan. So another translation for that is that they were sons of Satan. They were sons of Belial. B-E-L-I-A-L. Sure. And that was 2 Corinthians 6, 15. So, I mean, the, the text is calling them sons of the devil. And I kind of was struck by that because there's really no gray area when it comes to the Lord. You are either a child of God 
or you are a child of the devil. And you cannot be in between. If you're in between somewhere, then you're still a child of the devil. <laughs> and it, it sounds mean, but that's the truth. Uh, but the encouraging thing is, I think once you are a child of God, you never go back to being a child of the devil. He does not lose his children. He cannot lose his children. So um, that really, that struck me when I was reading through that. Uh, yeah, when we look at the two chapters, when you look at chapter two and then you compare it with chapter three, we really see opposite ends of the spectrum. So we see those who are given insight uh, into God and they know God, and then we see those who don't know God, okay? We see those who can hear from God and then those who can't hear from God. We, we also see those who are willing to listen to God and those who are not willing to listen to God. So the not part, you should look on it, the not part would be on this side with chapter two. And then, and then over here, we have Samuel who is willing to listen. So you really see these opposite end of the spectrum. And then in the middle, we're going to see this bridge. We're going to see a bridge as to how we get from the not part to the actually being able to hear from God. So I thought it was really neat once I was able to see that thread kind of take place. And what, what else I found really interesting is that the specifics that take place in this chapter are an immediate fulfillment of Hannah's prayer. I don't know if anyone else picked up on that, but if you look back at Hannah's prayer with me, like verse six, maybe seven, nine, it says, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. Verse 9, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. So these things are happening right away. Well, right away for us. <laughs> this is probably 12 years later um, after Hannah prayed that prayer. But it's right away for us. We see the faithfulness of God. But what's really sad is we would think that these things would be describing God's enemy and they're describing the priesthood right there in Israel. The sons of Belial, right? It was right there. That's what's so sad. And these guys were supposed to be God's very own representatives and they had a big problem. So why in the text, there's several reasons. It doesn't have to be in any certain order, but what do you see in this chapter? Why were Hophni and Phinehas considered worthless? What were they doing that was so bad? There's several things. They weren't honoring the Lord's sacrifice. Yes. Do you remember specifics? Yeah, they, wanted, they were taking the fat, is what it sounds like to me, from the sacrifices. And I, I tried to like give myself a quick lesson again on some of the sacrifices. And I went back through and read some of Leviticus. And it sounded to me like they would boil the sacrifice to begin with to like get the skin off. 
and then you would be able to have the different cuts of meat, but the, the fat belonged to the Lord. So my, my kids always fight over the fat. Like, we love the fat <laughs> on pork chops. It's so good. Or you just think about when you grill it and it's marinated and then you, grill, you have a big old barbecue and some of that fat is so tasty. Am I the only one that thinks it tastes good? All right, okay, I've got a couple others. I think it tastes really good. The, <laughs> Oh, man. We're going to have a cookout, and we're all going to try some fat. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. The, the, the three of us will eat it. That's when Cricket can have some if she wants. So the fat belonged to the Lord. It actually says that it was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The fat was. So I didn't have a whole lot of time to dig into why. But one thing I quickly read was, as far as the fat went, was just like, that just spoke of, like, blessing, like, extra you know like if you're real if you're like a skinny cow i mean you're not very blessed right like you're malnourished but something really fat fat cow that means god it was really blessing israel they had plenty to eat and so the fat belonged to the lord so i think there were other reasons too but that was one thing that i read that i thought was kind of interesting uh yeah so they would boil it and then leviticus seven thirty four is where it says that there, there were certain pieces of the sacrifice that were allotted to the priests. So they, they were allowed to have some of it, and specifically they were allowed to have the breast and the thigh of the sacrifice. And those were considered two choice pieces of meat. So it's not like God had said that they couldn't have anything, or he was giving them some of the best part of the sacrifice. But they were just sticking a fork. And I want to know how big that fork was. Like, in my mind, I'm picturing, like, this huge... I mean, if you're boiling an animal, this thing is big. I've got a pitchfork, like, pitchfork going <laughs> in this thing. Like, half a bull is coming out, whatever. Sheep, not sheep, ram, I don't know, pick one. It's whatever you want, not sheep. <laughs> but half of it's coming out. And, you know, can you imagine... Being an Israelite who just brought your firstborn animal or this a sacrifice is a sacrifice for a reason. It is not easy to give of that to actually. So those who were still faithful in Israel, bringing their sacrifices to Shiloh, maybe having to walk quite a ways in order to do that. Can you imagine these are the guys that are taking your sacrifice and they're just how mad that would make you like they are just taking whatever they want to take. And in my mind, I, I thought of it like, can you imagine if we had to take our sacrifices to Washington, D.C. and go through Congress in order to get to God? Do you know how mad we would all be? Then they're just like taking whatever they want of our sacrifice. That, that's the picture I think that we need to have of what the faithful in Israel were probably dealing with with them, okay? Well, it, the only thing it said is that if they were like, no, you know, the fat belongs to the Lord, that they would take it by force. Yeah. So, and I did read, I did read somewhere that there is an underlying tone here that because of this, it was turning the Israelites away. So they just, they weren't, if that's what it was going to be like, they just weren't going to bring their sacrifices. 
And I could relate to that. I mean, if we had to go and if I had to go take my sacrifice to certain people in Congress, I just wouldn't go anymore. <laughs> so I would just stay home. It wouldn't be worth it to me. So, um, yes, they, okay, so why, why is this such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal that they were taking the fat, that they were taking whatever part of the sacrifice that they wanted? Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm trying to put myself in Old Testament, not knowing that he looks at the heart of the sacrifice, I would think that if I'm taking it to you and you're supposed to be holy and you're doing this and you're spoiling my sacrifice, therefore you just made that null and void. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And you'd be ticked off. <laughs> I would have been. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Why... Um, Why is God going to put them to death for this? Any thoughts on that? Why was this a big deal to him? He, like, chose that family or tribe especially for that role. And they were just thrown into that thing. Absolutely, they were. Yes, the word um, scorn, somewhere we have the word scorn. You guys might know where it is exactly. Verse 29. Verse 29. They were scorning. Yes. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded from my dwelling? That word scorn actually means to kick. So it gives like this mental picture of like, I don't think they're actually kicking it. They were eating it. But that's how they felt about, that's how they were treating the Lord's sacrifice is like kicking it. But what does... The sacrifice picture. Jesus. <laughs> That's why this is such a big deal. Because everything done in the tabernacle, down to what the utensils looked like, to the bread on the, sh- uh, the table, to the candlesticks, everything, to the sacrifices, to the washing. Maybe we'll have to do that study next year. All of the details picture Christ. And his sacrifice. And so they're scorning the sacrifice. And it is no wonder then that he says to his sons, what, what could possibly be left if, you're, if you sin against God? What sacrifice could be less, left for you? That's true. If you scorn the sacrifice of Christ, there is nothing left for you. There is no other way to be saved but through him. That's why this was such a big deal. They were also sleeping with the women. <laughs> so they were partying a little bit. I don't know anything about the women. I don't know if anyone else found anything. There's really not much about the women. There's one other verse in scripture that talks about women serving at the entrance to the tent. Uh, so I don't know what they did. God doesn't necessarily mandate that. I couldn't find it. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether they were there. And at this point, were these women being forced to have sex with them? Or was it, were, were they prostitutes? You know, the whole picture, though, is that these guys were turning God's house into a brothel. It's basically what it comes down to. This is the Lord's house, and it is now a brothel. And they were treating the Lord then 
as unholy through all of this. That's what it comes down to. They actually wore, the priests wore turbans on their head with a gold plate that said, holy to the Lord. So I don't know at this point if they're still wearing that, but can you, maybe, they probably are, maybe. I don't know. That's what the priests wore. And they're not holy to the Lord, are they? But can you imagine that reminder everywhere you went? We might need to bring that one back again. Might be trending next year. (laughs) Depends who becomes president. I might have to wear one. Uh, Anyway, I got Congress on the brain tonight. (laughs) They're treating the Lord as holy because why? They do not know the Lord. That's what it tells us, right? Verse 12, they did not know the Lord. And remember, we're talking tonight about you can know the Lord. I can know the Lord. We can know the Lord. And they did not know the Lord. And what I kept thinking about this week is what kept them from knowing the Lord. Why didn't they know him? They're living in his house. They're serving him, right? I mean, the Lord is the only reason. They have a job. That's, that's their whole world is the Lord. Why did they not know him? And here's, here's the reason. Romans 1.18. I think you guys are going to love how this all fits together. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They were suppressing the truth by their unrighteous behavior. And that's why they didn't know the Lord. They were suppressing the truth by their vivid and bold and continuous unrighteousness, the way that they were living. Sin matters. If we want to know the Lord, sin matters. And when we sin, we suppress the truth of who God truly is, whether we mean to or not. You know, there, there's, and when I was reading through Leviticus, half the time it was like, even for these accidental things that you don't even realize that you do, bring this offering. So it's whether we realize it or not, when we sin, we push down and down and down and down who the truth of God really is, that he is the one that is holy, that he is the one that is sovereign, that he is the king. All of those things get suppressed when we raise ourselves up and make ourselves in charge and we sin. So here's the bottom line. It's our own fault if we don't know God. And that sounds kind of rude to say that, but it's our own fault if we don't know God. And we're going to get more into that as to why. And I I want to apologize for saying that, but I'm not going to apologize for saying that. Sin keeps us from knowing God. And this is why. So Hophni and Phinehas, they had the word of God available to them, right? They had uh, everything available to them. They should have known the Lord. But it was their sin that suppressed the truth. And so God held them accountable for that because there was no reason that they should not have known him. They should have known what he required 
They should have um, been exhibited with wisdom and fear of the Lord to be able to uphold what God required. But because they didn't, who comes on the scene? And it's in verse 27. I'll give you a hint. What? Well, a man of God comes, yes. So, could have been Jesus. We don't, we don't know. It does not tell us who this person is. But it says, thus says the Lord. So, could have been. There are several times in Scripture where Jesus does show up. And he speaks it himself. I wouldn't be surprised because this is his house. And if he's that... Well, I'm sure, I, you know he's upset. He's going to put these guys to death. <laughs> so, you know he's, he's not happy about any of this. And he says, anyone want to summarize basically what this man of God says? He basically says, you guys are done, right? But you've had this privilege. I uh, raised you up from the house of Aaron and you have just scorned my sacrifice. And he specifically says to Eli, you have honored your sons above me. And he basically makes Eli sound like he's an accomplice. So he might be in there eating the fat too. Maybe, and he probably knew what was going on and he was doing it anyway. Therefore, you are done, says this man of God. And then look at verse 36. In verse 36, it says, And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him. And he is talking about this faithful high priest that he is going to raise up. He is, they are going to come and implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. Now look back at 2.5. Hannah's prayer. Look what it says. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. But those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. Do you see that fulfillment? Right away, God is so faithful to fulfill everything that he says. Every single thing that he says. And maybe one of you just needs that promise tonight. God has said it. He will be faithful to do it. He's faithful in his timing. So this Everything that was said here uh, by this, this person, by this man of God, by Christ, it is the word of the Lord. So everything that was said here was not completely fulfilled until Solomon became king. So I was trying to figure out in my head how long that was. I don't know, maybe it was like 50 years later. Solomon became king, and then he specifically says in 2 Kings 2, 26 and 27, if you want to write that down, it's, it's first, sorry, 1 Kings 2, 26 and 27, that he is going to expel Abathar, the priest, to fulfill the word of the Lord to Eli. So it specifically says that. And then he installs Zadok as priest. So I had to do a little digging there to figure out who he is. And Aaron, if we go back to Aaron, when the priesthood started, Aaron had four sons. Two of them were killed pretty quickly by offering fire that was not what was uncensored. I think that's how it was put it. So he still had two other sons. And the line that had been the priesthood uh, was from Ithamar. That's where Eli came from, Ithamar. And so God is doing away with Ithamar's line now. And they are, they are done. 
And so Zadok comes from Aaron's other son, Eleazar. So we still have Aaron's line, but it's going to be through that other son. That's not fulfilled until the days of Solomon. So maybe there were some people that were really mad because these guys took their sacrifice. They didn't get to see that fulfilled maybe in their lifetime. So it's just, it was just interesting to me to think about God's timing, but just to realize how quickly and just how faithful he is. So specific. You know, those things that Hannah prayed and praised God for, and then they're fulfilled in the very next, well, same chapter for us as we're reading it. So I thought that was really, really interesting. So what we're seeing, though, in this first, what are we seeing in this first chapter? We are seeing that sin keeps us from knowing God, right? Sin kept them from knowing God. So here's your first principle for the night. When we sin, we suppress the truth and sabotage our opportunity to know God. When we sin, we suppress the truth and sabotage our opportunity to know God. When we sin, we suppress the truth and sabotage our opportunity to know God. God had revealed himself to Israel. God had revealed himself in lots of ways. When you look back on the Exodus, uh, when you look through all the plagues, when you think about the parting of the Red Sea, when you think about Mount Sinai and God giving them the law and speaking to them directly, when you think about Moses, you think about all those, um, the water from the rock, Jericho, Joshua, they had so many things that they could look back and remember. God had revealed himself in many ways. They had no excuses not to know who he was. And honestly, we don't have any excuses either not to know God because it's right here. It's all right here. And maybe we would think, okay, yeah, but Israel had an excuse because look at who is representing them. Look at who is representing God. You know, Hophni and Phinehas, these worthless guys. So can't we give Israel an excuse? Well, maybe we could, except God took care of that too. He took care of that also. According to Leviticus 10.11, it was the priest's responsibility to teach Israel about God. It was their responsibility. So they were going to teach Israel about God, but then they were also going to represent the people to God. They would act as the mediator, okay, between God and man. We need a mediator. Who is our mediator? Jesus is our mediator, right. And they had a corrupt mediator. So if God left it that way, Sure, maybe we could use that as an excuse, but he does not leave it that way. Look at verse 35, and I'm going to use this one. This is the bridge right here, and when we were kind of in our initial discussion, we hit on this a little bit. God says, And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. So 
initially, different scholars would say, this could be talking about Samuel, and it could be. God is going to initially raise up someone here that is more godly than Hophni and Phinehas. It also could be talking about that Zadok, uh, the priesthood that came after him. But we know for sure that this is talking about Christ. And Hebrews is all about the priesthood of Jesus, if you want to get into that more. Hebrews 4.14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Hebrews 7.25 Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So considering the role of the priesthood, what is Jesus doing? He, right now, right now, is representing us before God, and he is representing God to us. He is fulfilling that role of the perfect mediator. When I think of the priesthood, and I specifically think of the high priest, I think of this like old-fashioned, archaic type of thing that just happened a really long time ago. No, it's still happening. There is an active priesthood right now in heaven. And Hebrews tells us all those things at the temple and the tabernacle were just a... A, a human tent of the real thing that's in heaven right now, where Jesus is ministering on our behalf right now. Amen. Isn't that amazing yes. that he is interceding right now? So do we have to be worried that he is going to put us to death? No, <laughs> we don't. Because he presents us to God through his holiness. So this is cool. Anything that we offer to God, where does it go? Through the hands of Jesus, through our high priest, and then he offers it to God. So why do we ever hesitate to give something to God? I mean, we feel like, oh, this isn't very much. It's kind of worthless. This is so little, like two little cents. You know, you think about the woman that gave her whatever it was, her two cents. And Christ is like, she just gave more than anyone else. Yes, she gave out a little that she had. But that offering, we, it doesn't matter how much we give. It's going through our high priest. And he's perfect. He's perfect. And he's perfectly mediating all the time. It says, it says all the time. Always lives to make intercession. He's always living to do that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, we don't need that human figure. Exactly. That to me was like honestly one of the biggest like aha moments. That's neat. Yeah. Of coming to faith. Of real. Yeah. That's really cool. 
That's good. And I love that, I mean, in a way, like we still have that picture though, mm -hmm. but Jesus is our high priest. And so we're going to him with our confessions. You know, like we don't need to hesitate to confess our sin. He's going to take it and it's wiped clean because it's his sacrifice that is making us holy. Or he's taking our offerings and then he's presenting them to God. Anything Jesus presents to God, what's God going to do? Love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And that's so cool. So what we see in chapter 2 are these obstacles that could keep us from knowing God, right? Sin keeps us from knowing God. Also, the priesthood, at least in Israel's time, would have kept them from knowing God. They were a false representation of what God really was. And God said, I'm removing that. I'm removing that so they can know me, right? Uh, what is the verse? What is the verse that I want? Hebrews 1, 3. Jesus, or Hebrews 1, 3. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. If you want to know God, you just have to look at Jesus. And we're talking about knowing God, right? If we want to know God, all we have to do is look at Jesus. We have a high priest who perfectly represents who he is. So these obstacles are completely removed. God removed them himself. Sin doesn't have to be a problem through Christ. Knowing who God is doesn't have to be a problem because our mediator is God himself. So that's your second principle tonight. Jesus removes any and all obstacles to knowing God. Jesus removes any and all obstacles to knowing God. There's no reason to hesitate going to the Lord. Jesus removes any and all obstacles to knowing God. In John 8, 19, Jesus says, If you knew me, you would know my Father also. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And then he would be your father. And then you would do the works of your father, John 8, 39. And since I and the father are one, John 10, 30, then you need to love and obey me, said Jesus. And then we're right back to obedience. We're right back to getting rid of that sin so that we can know God, so that we can get rid of those obstacles, okay? Bottom line is this, guys. We can know him. You can know God. There's nothing holding you back from knowing God. God got rid of those obstacles. But I know you're thinking in your mind, how? Okay, tell me how. I want to know him better, but I don't feel like I know him very well. Tell me how. And that's where chapter 3 comes in. And the whole bridge between 2 and 3 is 2.35, when Jesus says, he, well, yeah, he says, I'm going to raise up this high priest. This is going to enable us then to actually know God, right? This holy high priest. Okay, how? How can we know God? There are some proactive steps that we can take to know him. So to summarize chapter 3 real quick, what we see is Samuel faithfully serving God at a very young age. Then we see him hear God's voice several times. He doesn't understand what's going on. He doesn't 
And I love that the text says that he doesn't yet know the Lord, but it's coming. Like, that's just so cool. It's coming. I love the word yet there. Uh, And then Samuel responds to God's invitation. We see that too. Eli's like, oh, I think I know what's going on. To go back and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then Samuel does that. And then we see Samuel pass his first test as a young prophet by saying the hard thing to the person that was close to him. Now, just think with me for a second how cool that was to hear God's voice. I really want to hear his voice. I can't wait to hear his voice someday in heaven. I cannot wait to hear it. Can you imagine how neat that was? And then I think it was, was it the fourth time where it says that he kept, yeah, verse 10, and the Lord came and stood. Oh, he came and stood, calling as at the other times. And he says his voice, or he says his name two times, Samuel, Samuel. And if you look at the other scriptures, he says Abraham's name twice. He says Moses' name twice. He says Saul's name twice. I don't know what that means, but I think it's cool. So he says, Samuel, Samuel. He's calling him. He wants Samuel to know him. He wants us to know him. But is that how God speaks today? I don't think so. And I'm really thankful for that because you guys, I'll tell you a little secret about me right now. I don't always have the best hearing. I joke all the time with Craig that I'm not going to be able to hear anything and he's not going to be able to see anything, but at least together we'll make a good pair. (laughs) He can like just tell me what's going on somehow and sign it. I don't know. But even now we'll be discussing something. I can't hear him and I think he mumbles, but also I have a really hard time hearing. (laughs) When we were at the women's retreat last year, and we played, I don't know how many of you were there, but we played this game where you like, it was like speed dating. And we were, I could not hear a thing. I had no idea what anybody said to me. When, I, when I'm in crowds with large people and it's really noisy, you look at me. I can't hear a thing. My face is like, uh-huh. <laughs> I have no idea what anybody is saying. And so what do I do? I pretend. I pretend that I know what's going on. When we go to, uh, every other year is Thanksgiving with Craig's family, and we go to his Aunt Becky's house, and there's like 70 people in this little tiny room, and I do not like going because I cannot hear anything. (laughs) And I have to pretend for hours that I can hear what people are saying. And unless you're like right here, (laughs) speaking to my good ear, I (laughs) I have no idea. I'm telling you, I am praising the Lord. He does not speak to me through my ears because I would never hear anything that he says. Even my kids, they tell me all the time, like, Mom can't hear you. (laughs) It's true, Mom can't hear you. But he speaks through our hearts. That's where he speaks. Praise the Lord, he does not speak to my ears. He speaks to our hearts. But here's the thing. I think a lot of us are like me. And we walk around pretending that we can hear God because we're kind of embarrassed that we don't really feel like we can hear God. Like, you know, so we walk around thinking like, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe that's God or I don't know if God is saying this. And we pretend because we want to know God and we feel like everyone else is hearing God. 
So, and it's kind of, I mean, it's embarrassing for me to admit that I can't hear you. That's why I'd rather pretend <laughs> that I can hear you. But I think that's what a lot of us do. But the thing is, we don't need to pretend. We do not need to pretend. Why? Because God has already spoken. That's the deal right here. He does speak. God does speak, but he has already spoken. And I think that's what we forget sometimes. We want a word from the Lord. We want the Lord to speak. It's right here. He's already spoken. He's already said it. And he's just waiting for us to open this book up and read it. I don't know where I am. I'm so excited. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Maybe I flipped the page. Maybe that's why I don't know where I am. Yes. So how does Samuel hear the voice of God in this story? And this is what you're going to love. This is, it's so simple. It's so simple. Okay. How does Samuel hear the voice of God? Number one, there's three things. Samuel is faithfully going about his duties. That's the first thing. He's faithfully serving the Lord. If you look at 2.11, it says, The boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. He's ministering. He doesn't yet know the Lord, and yet he is faithfully serving the Lord already. In 2.18, it says Samuel was ministering before the Lord. So there we see it again. So why didn't it say he's ministering to the Lord and then before the Lord? Maybe it could Maybe it could just be a sense I don't know if there's anything to that wording, but um, I could see how he so when we see him in this story, he is in the holy place. So I think he was working a lot. I don't know. Maybe he was cleaning. Maybe he was doing a lot of menial tasks that the others did not want to do. And I would think, so I would think he's doing both simultaneously. Like that to me would be to the, like the things he is doing, maybe he's, his heart is in the right place. So he's doing them to the Lord, but he's also uh, doing them before the Lord in the sense of this is God's house. There's the Holy of Holies right here. I don't know. Mm. Does that need anything? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. No, I, I, I love that. I love that. Uh, and I wonder. Oh, I just had a train of thought. And where did it go? I don't know. I don't know where it went. It's totally gone. <laughs> In three, three. Look at three, three. It says, the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So that's interesting to me that he's like sleeping in there, but I kind of feel like he's just on duty too. I mean, where's the other guys? Did they just pass out because they ate too much? You know, or were they out sleeping with the women? And then you have this boy who is faithfully serving, we could say before God in the physical sense, really, because he's right there before the Lord. Uh, but it's interesting to me that he is in, he's in there. He's ministering to the Lord right there. 315 also, after God speaks to him, look what it says that he does. 315, it says, Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house 
of the Lord. He's the one opening everything back up in the morning. So that just spoke to me again, like, he's just actively serving the Lord. He's just doing what he knows he's supposed to be doing. And this is when God speaks to him. There's something to that, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And I just think if we want to know God, if we want to hear him speak to us, I think we just need to get busy. I think we need to get busy serving him. And I don't just mean like working in the church nursery. That's not exactly what I, it's not what I mean necessarily. I mean, choose this day whom you will serve. Who's your master going to be? Who's your master right now? Think about that. Who are you serving? Are you serving yourself or are you serving the Lord? I also think you should serve in the church because there's, God tells us to, and there's so many benefits to that. But I, don't th- I think that's tunneling our vision a little too much right now with this. Faithfully serve the Lord every day by making him your master, and the Lord will speak to you. He is going to speak to you. Number two, when does God speak to Samuel? When he is lying down in the temple of the Lord. And then verse 3 gives us this little detail that I think is so important, where the ark of God is. Which is interesting to me because I think the ark of God is actually behind another curtain. But maybe just by association, he's just in the temple. And so it's, or maybe it was in there for some reason. But you, you, you were not allowed around the ark of God. That was in the Holy of Holies. And the high priest went in there once a year and they tied a little string around his ankle in case he didn't make it back out. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure how that picture is all there, but I think this is what God wants us to know. Okay, when does Samuel hear from God? When Samuel puts himself in a position where he can hear from God. Think about where he is. He is in God's presence. So often we want to hear from God, but we aren't spending any time in his presence. We aren't willing to just sit down with him, to hear him speak to us through his word. So Samuel's in God's presence, and this is what I think is so cool. The ark, what's inside the ark? The Ten Commandments, the written word of God is inside the ark. Okay, so what we get is this picture of Samuel dwelling in God's presence in a low position, maybe in close proximity to the written word of God. What a picture. Do you guys see that picture? Lying down in close proximity to the written word of God. Girls, if we want to hear from God, we have to get ourselves in under, surrounded by the word of God. That is how you are going to hear him speak. I can't tell you how many times I have just, uh, how many times God has spoken to me through his word, but it's because I've been consistent about it. That, that's when he speaks. It's when I'm, I'm doing my thing, you know, and I'm, no, I'm tired, but I'm still up. And I am still sitting in his presence because I know at this point in my relationship with him, I have to, or no one's going to be happy in my house. We'll just say it that way. I need the Lord. 
But when I get up and I do that and I sit in his presence and I open